want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. You're listening to a bonus episode of the Afterburn Podcast, where we're going to talk about how to become an Air Force officer. My guest today is Captain Colin Slade, who is an Air Force ROTC instructor and is the host of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast, which talks you through the process of becoming an Air Force officer, the various career fields that are available to officers out there. And I have a lot of people who ask questions of how to become a pilot. Well, the first step to becoming a pilot is to become an officer. And even if you don't become a pilot, if you can imagine a career in the civilian world, it most likely exists in the Air Force, either on the enlisted side of the house or the officer side of the house. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the three different commissioning sources, Reserve Officer Training Corps, the Air Force Academy, and Officer Training School, OTS. I decided to release this as a bonus episode because it doesn't necessarily align with the theme of my podcast thus far. However, I do think it's important information and I get a lot of questions about how to become a pilot, how to become an officer. And even if you're not looking to join the Air Force or that is something that doesn't interest you, I do think there are things inside this, this interview that can be applied to everyday life, that can be applied to your business, can be applied to your journey and your pursuit of your path, whatever that might be. But I'll let you be the judge of that. Hopefully for those of you out there looking to join the military, looking to become an officer, you'll find this information useful and helpful for you as you try to go out there and walk the path. And before we get into today's podcast, wherever you're listening, please hit that subscribe button, leave me a review that helps me out and lets me know to keep generating content. And then finally, I'd like to thank the two sponsors for this episode, Wingman Watches and Squadron Posters. If you're looking to build a custom watch, Going over to wingmanwatch.com and get started today. They're a veteran-owned company. Everything is built right here in the US of A. And again, small business and at times like this, never a better opportunity to support a small business. I'd also like to thank Squadron Posters for sponsoring this episode. Squadron Posters is a great way to capture your memories and showcase the places you have traveled, where you've lived, and some of the amazing things you've accomplished. Their custom artwork is truly unique. Check out squadronposters.com and you can use the code RAIN10 to receive 10% off your order of $59 or more. And finally, I'd like to mention Jello over at the Fighter Pilot Podcast, who started a Facebook group called The Pit. And The Pit is for aspiring military aviators, and it has students going through pilot training right now, students awaiting pilot training, but a myriad of people who have flown nearly everything underneath the sun 
help guide and mentor. Uh, and really, it's a great opportunity for those going through the process or have just been through the process to connect and help one another out. So check out The Pit. Again, that's hosted uh, over on Facebook and put together by Jello at the Fighter Pilot Podcast. All right, now let's get into the episode for today with Captain Colin Slade, who is an ROTC instructor. And again, he's the host of Commissioned, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Sweet, let's get rolling. Colin, thanks for joining me on the podcast tonight. I have a lot of my Instagram followers who have a ton of questions about joining the Air Force, uh, becoming an officer, becoming a pilot specifically, but even if not becoming a pilot, just how to join the Air Force in general, how to become an officer. A lot of my stuff, I hate to say it, I kind of cringe when they ask me about tips for the AFOQT or like applications. Like it's nearly two decades since I last did that. (laughs) So having you on the podcast tonight, it's great because you're going to be able to give some recent experience because tell me a little about who you are and what you do. uh, Because I think that's really going to help people out. Absolutely. Yes. My name is Captain Colin Slade. I am an Air Force officer. I have been on active duty as a civil engineer and then went into the air force reserve but for the last two and a half years i have been an instructor for air force rotc so actually working the process of getting people into the air force as officers to include being pilots or other types of rated officers that's awesome so let's just kind of start at the beginning and by the beginning Talk about a kid who is middle school, high school age, and now they're thinking, hey, I want to be a pilot. I want to be an officer. I want to be a lawyer, whatever it might be. They want to join the military and serve. What are some of the steps they need to start taking in the middle school, high school years to set them up for the next step? Well, I want to highlight first off that you hit it right on the head that that is the exact time and place that they should start thinking about this sort of thing. That if they want to give themselves the best possible chance of being an officer in the Air Force and getting the specific career field that they're looking for, they need to be thinking about these things while they are still in middle school and definitely while in high school. In that time period, they really need to focus on first and foremost, their grades. Unfortunately, the Air Force is one of the few institutions on planet Earth that cares about your GPA, but for us, it is really important. We use that as one of the primary distinguishing factors across all of our selection boards that include scholarships, that's pilot selection, the job assignments, all of those things will take into account your GPA. So start early. Start crushing it from the very beginning. And as you often say, Rain, don't bring it weak. Yeah, there you go. Um, So uh, I was fortunate. I think I knew at a young age that uh, I wanted to be a pilot. I joined the military. 9-11 happened. And it was kind of right in those formative years as far as getting set up to go into the military and go be an officer where like it put me into gear or like all my focus and energy went towards becoming a pilot in the Air Force specifically. And I knew I looked up what the requirements were. I sought out mentors who had walked that path before me, got their guidance and everyone echoed like good grades, be well-rounded, be involved in clubs and not just like the participation trophy, but when the involvement is the expect expectation is, I guess, progression to the point where, Hey, if I don't know, whatever hobby X, Y, or Z, by the time you're year four into that club, 
you know, we're really looking for someone who has stepped up, maybe they're being the club president or something like that. So what outside of GPA do kids need to be doing in order to set them up to get a spot to join the United States Air Force? Yeah. So that's another really important thing that you highlighted there is that as officers, we like to, we we need to be well-rounded and that is going to definitely include your demonstrated leadership capability. And that could be in a club, that could be in athletics, that could be in the community, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, any of those types of things where there's opportunity for you to progress in leading a, a team, a group of people, and take them to a point of success. So if you want to demonstrate that you are the, the well-rounded individual that we're looking for, we need you to seek out those opportunities for leadership and be and, and just crush it there, be successful there. Yeah, I think what's tough is at that young age, right? Or I mean, I remember being in high school. You're, I mean, you're focused on the next day. You're focused on the next week. What am I being? You're not seeing the long term, five years, ten years out. And what I tell young kids is, like, you think in high school that being 25 or 30 is a ways away, but it's really not. And you have such a very short runway to get right. things done. And unfortunately, if you waste even a semester. God forbid you waste like a year just trying to find yourself. You're so far behind the power curve that you're going to have to work exponentially harder mm-hmm. to catch up to those peers who kind of already knew what they wanted to go do. Not saying it's impossible, right? Like people do it, but if you're one right. of those people that hasn't quite figured it out and you're now in your junior year of high school, you are going to have a, a tougher road, I think, more times than not uh, to get to where you want to go. Not to discourage people, but just know that, hey, fence in, get ready for the fight and, and, and get after it. So now let's say, hey, this, this student, guy or gal has been working their butt off high school, good GPA there. And then they're well-rounded as far as like the leadership and involvement in clubs and sports. What is next? What are they looking at as far as college and some of their options and what they should be doing if they want to become an officer? Okay. So if you want to become an officer, you have three options. There are three paths to receiving a commission. The first one that most people think of is going to be the Air Force Academy. And in order to get to the academy, you do need to start early to demonstrate that you can get the grades, that you have that leadership potential, that you, you are the whole package that we're looking for because you're going to be competing with everybody else across the nation who is in that exact same boat and vying for a nomination from your representative in your district. All of these things are required in order to secure a spot at the Air Force Academy. Now, if you don't get the nomination, if you don't get into the Academy, if you're too old, if you have dependents or something like that, if you have kids or a wife or somebody, then uh, your opportunity to, to go to the academy ha- has been missed, but that doesn't mean that you can't still become an officer. Other options that are available to you are the Reserve Officer Training Corps or ROTC. There are 145 ROTC detachments across the nation at over 400 different universities. So there's plenty of opportunity for you there to still receive your officer training while you are going to school so that you can receive your commission upon graduation. Now let's say you're, you, you missed the academy boat, you didn't know about ROTC, you're getting ready to graduate from college and all of a sudden you're like, well man, 
I really want to go join the Air Force. How can I still make this happen? At that point, you need to apply for what is called Officer Training School or OTS. And through that, you can get your officer training in a nine-week block and receive your commission at that point. Then you're off into active duty. So those are your three, three options for becoming an officer, going to the Air Force Academy, joining Air Force ROTC, or Officer Training School. Where can people find the information about what is required for each different commissioning source, the Academy OTS, ROTC, and how they go about applying for each one of those? Sure. So the official sources of information for the Academy are first going to be their website, usafa.edu. They've got an admissions page that you can uh, read up on there, as well as you can get in touch with an admissions liaison officer or ALO, not to be confused with other types of ALOs, right? Yeah, of course, because we use the same acronym for different things all the time. (laughs) Exactly. And those individuals that are located across everywhere in the nation where there's a population center, there's going to be an assigned academy ALO there. They can answer your questions. For Air Force ROTC, the best thing to do is to, one, you can go to their website, which is afrotc.com. But really the best thing to do is to go to the local uh, Air Force ROTC detachment at the university in your area or where you hope to attend and talk to the recruiting officer. That officer will be able to give you all the information you need on how to get into their program, what the requirements are for uh, eligibility, uh, registering for classes, where you need to be when, what the the program is structured like, they will be able to answer all of those questions for you. For officer training school or OTS, you have to get in touch with an officer sessions recruiter. You you can look those up by going to airforce.com and use the find a recruiter tool there. They are very difficult to get in touch with because they are incredibly (laughs) busy. So those are the official sources for each of the different commissioning sources. But if I may, I'll put in the, my, the plug for my podcast, which is an unofficial source for all things becoming an officer, the training and develop, development that we go through. It's called Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. And we cover there every possible angle and pathway that you can think of about getting into the Air Force as an officer in any type of career field. What is a good way, or I know you're on Instagram, what is the easiest way for someone to reach out to you and ask a question? Yes, we're active on all the social media platforms, but probably the, the easiest, fastest way to get in touch with, touch with us is using our email, airforceofficerpodcast at gmail.com. And so saying that, right, we have all these official sources. I will say one of the things I've learned in life is it's all about your network and who you know. Um, sure. You, you, know, you mentioned Right. Like you and I talking about this, right? We've both been in the Air Force quite a while. We're both tied into the recruiting service. And this is even still a challenge to nail Mm -hmm. down exactly where you need to go with everyone. So when you're listening to this and you have someone out there, if you're trying to join the Air Force, I I, I know specifically I had someone say they're they're a lawyer or they're going to graduate law school and they're trying to get in contact with the recruiter and they're not getting a lot of movement with it. One, yep, the recruiter could be busy. Uh, Two, there's a myriad of reasons why they might not be responsive. Like not saying, 
sometimes like we just don't have a superstar in a position, right? They might not have the motivation. They right. might have stuff going on in life. They're all geographically separated. There's a lot of variables that go into it, not making an excuse, but nonetheless, that is a roadblock. Right. That, and it's just one more thing that you're going to have to just keep pushing through if you really want it. Like in the end there, if, if you really want it bad enough and you might have to work harder for it than others, but just keep being persistent, keep looking for different avenues of attack. All right. You just hit on the three different commissioning sources. Again, those each have different criteria and different requirements and it's a different fit for different people. Right. Uh, for instance, you know, if you're the high school kid, look at the Academy RHC. If you already have your degree, probably looking at OTS. But each one of those, again, they have a different process in order to get into it. You and I are both ROTC guys. What drives one person to another source versus, you know, going going RHC versus going to the Academy? What are the pros and cons kind of between the, the different sources that you see? Sure. So I think the main reason why somebody would choose to go to the Academy is because one, they found about it. They found out about it early enough that they were able to start making the steps that would enable them to get there. And then two, they're looking for that specific type of college experience where they are in the military, getting their officer training at the same time as they are earning their academic degree. It is certainly not for everybody. So for someone who wants to go to the academy is someone who learns about it early, is absolutely killing it in school. They're the, they're the whole package and they're looking for that type of military training experience while they're going through school. Why would somebody choose ROTC versus the academy? One, they're not looking for that type of military training experience while they're going through school. They want to be a typical college student. They want to live their life. They want to not be under the thumb. They want to have the freedom to go and do and enjoy lots of different opportunities, internships, a research fellow or something along those lines. Maybe they want to get married. Maybe they already are married. Maybe they have kids. They want to have kids. Some of those things can determine that ROTC is going to be the better fit for you. And then for officer training school, the reason most people will end up there is because they didn't know about the other two. It's not that there's anything wrong with officer training school. It's that it is far easier to get into the academy or Air Force ROTC and earn your commission there than it is to get your commission through officer training school. Here's a, a, a case in point. One of the very recent selection boards for officer training school, you know, so today is March 19th. The, the selection results for the, the recent board came out in, in February and this, the selection rate was 2%. That's crazy. Two, yeah. 2%. Yeah. So getting into officer training school is incredibly competitive. And it's so competitive because most people don't find out about the academy or can't get into it, or they don't find out about ROTC until it's already too late. They already have their degree or they're about to graduate. And so they, they choose to go the officer training school route. One ca caveat on that is our enlisted airmen or soldiers or sailors or Marines, since they can also receive commissions into the Air Force as well, is their full-time active duty doing the job for, for the military. So they, they are unable to participate in the academy or ROTC unless they leave active duty. 
they can be in the reserves or the guard and do ROTC, or they can get a, a scholarship to go to the academy so long as they meet those other requirements. But the vast majority of our uh, enlisted won't be able to do the academy or ROTC, and so they have to choose OTS. Yeah, I, so my former superintendent, Master Rich Hall, actually got picked up as a 37-year-old to go to OTS. So when we talk like OTS specifically, and that's when people ask me questions like, oh, I'm just going to get my college degree and then apply to OTS. What I don't think they realize is the sheer number of people that are applying and the people they're applying against. For instance, people who already have been out in the workforce with their MBA running a large department or group at a corporation and doing really well. And oh, by the way, they have a 4.0 GPA. Mm-hmm. They're a very well-rounded person that has a lot of leadership skills in the civilian world that the Air Force is looking at that they're competing against. So right. you know, if you just cruise through college and just were checking the boxes just to get done, it's going to be really tough to get that spot there. And another thing to consider is that the, the number of spots available at the academy is static. It doesn't change from year to year. It's, right, it's capped right at 1,000 per year will be able to go through the academy. ROTC is a little bit more flexible, but it's still somewhere between 2,500 to 3,000 per year. But then OTS is the flexible partner that can grow and shrink to meet the Air Force's uh, demands for, for officers. And it's also flexible, not just in numbers, but in career fields. There may be boards where they're, they only need maybe 100 pilots, whereas a, a year later, it, it may be that they need 1,000. I don't know. It, the, the OTS exists in order to meet that gap be, that is left by the Academy and Air Force ROTC. Yeah, I hate to put it this way, but I mean, it's more or less the Band-Aid each year to fix, to finalize the, the in-state goal of officer accession. So it might be a really big band-aid or it might be a small band-aid in that year and just exactly. kind of depends. Before we go too far, I kind of wanted to backtrack just uh, a little bit as far as one, we did mention ALO for getting into the Air Force Academy. So we we're kind of talking right. about the three different commissioning sources, but how would, would someone go find that ALO and what is that ALO going to do for them? So you can find it through the, uh, through the Academy that they will there, there's a tool there that you can use to get connected to the Academy Liaison Officer or ALO in your area. And that individual is going to talk with you about your experience, uh, the, your grades, the things that you've been involved with, and give you a, a rough idea of how competitive you are in getting selected for the Academy. If they determine that you are competitive, or if you just want to go ahead and apply anyway and see what happens, that person will then help facilitate your application to be admitted to the academy. They will guide you step-by-step through the process to make sure that you're crossing all of your T's, dotting all of your I's, making sure that everything is in place so that you can be selected for the academy if you are competitive. So interested in the academy, the ALO, I think is probably one of the, it's probably the second stop, obviously, after you go to the, the USAFA website and figure out right. what your requirements are. For ROTC, again, you kind of mentioned, hey, go to the ROTC unit that you're looking at joining. Um, I went to Georgia Tech and we had, I think we had almost like 15 or 20 Crosstown schools. It was like one of the largest Crosstown school components at the time. 
So can you talk a little bit about like what Crosstown schools are? Because I think that could be applicable for someone who might not be going to such a large university. Right. So a Crosstown school is, is a university that's in partnership with the host university where the Air Force ROTC detachment is actually located. Most of the classes and all of the, and the training is going to be conducted at the, that host university. So, for example, I'm at Air Force ROTC Detachment 855, hosted by Brigham Young University. We have a crosstown with Utah Valley University. The two schools are 10 minutes apart, and so it makes it really easy for the students at UVU to drive over to BYU and receive their training. We do have classes on, at, on UVU campus on a regular basis, but the vast majority of the training actually happens at, um, at the host university. Now, that's not necessarily going to be the case for all universities, for all ROTC programs, because like you mentioned, there may be a, a detachment that has 30 different crosstown agreements with the universities in the area, and it's just not feasible to have classes in, in each of those different universities. And so the expectation will be is that you're going to commute the 10 minutes, the 30 minutes, the 90 minutes, depending on how far away you are, to receive your training based on when that, that host university is able to support that type of training. Yeah, I, for instance, I know you had Georgia Tech downtown Atlanta, there were several universities right around the corner where it was a five to 10 minute commute for those students. But then we also reached out all the way to like West Georgia. So those, those students were commuting upwards of like 90 minutes um, each way. Now, granted, we're meeting like Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, so it's not every single day you're doing that. But then again, I would say if you're in an area and you're looking to go to a school that is probably on the smaller scale and they don't have ROTC to look around geographically as far as like where the big school is, because most likely there's a chance there's a crosstown agreement uh, for that um, degree. But what I, what I do want to say here is that there's no advantage to going to the host university over the crosstown university. We, the cadre are going to treat every cadet, regardless of what institution they go to just the same. So, don't think that you have to go to the host university in order to get a leg up and be better treated or better valued or better evaluated by the ROTC cadre. That's just not true. Yeah, that's a great point because in the end, when I look at you or I look at another fighter pilot or I look whatever like your job is, my expectation is you do your job. Right. Um, I don't care what you look like, who you like, anything like that is you show up you do what is required of you and you do it well. And then if you don't do it well, you identify that, fix it, press forward and, and make it better for the next time. And that's a great, cause there probably is like, I can, I can looking back on it, guys who are commuters, one, like you're commuting in and usually you're the outsider just in the sense that everyone else is already there. They're in the dorms, they're eating dinner together. They're always hanging out. So just by the nature of it, they're friends, but that doesn't separate you from the herd, right? Like, you make it what it is and, you know, show up, show up, own it. And especially the cadre there again, we're just looking for, I would say winners, you know, looking for leaders. It doesn't matter where you came from. Again, what you look like, who you like, or anything like that. The expectation is that you're going to be a leader to be a great officer in the air force. 
Absolutely. I think the Academy and ROTC are probably going to be fairly similar in the sense that they're more or less, there's some caveats ROTC, but you're going to be enrolled in college for four years and your military training is running concurrently through the Academy or through ROTC programs. At the end of your degree program, you're going to get your diploma and you're going to get your commission mm-hmm. the same day or the very next day. While you're in the Academy, while you're in ROTC, you're learning, you're competing, and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do when you join, once you commission going to the Air Force. Can right. you talk to me a little bit about the process, the timeline, as far as when people are going to get their jobs? You know, if you want to be a pilot, what is that? What do you need to be doing to be a pilot, navigator, intelligence? What does all that look like? Sure. So this is the point where my knowledge of how things operate at the academy significantly drops off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly how they they do their their uh, career field assignments, uh, exactly at what point they apply for the rated board or if they even have a rated board. We are working on on our podcast to get that information put together and and released, but I can definitely speak to the ROTC process. And I imagine that because the the way that the Academy and the ROTC are, are set up, they're very similar, that what I say here about ROTC is going to be similar to what happens at the Academy, but I can't say it for certain, okay? Full disclosure, no one's gonna sue you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I wanna say here is that the the process that I described for ROTC is going to be the case for the vast majority of Air Force officers. Like I said earlier, the Academy only commissions about a thousand a year. OTS, it's a flexible partner. It might be a whole bunch. It might be very, very little. So the vast majority of the line officers, which includes rated, the, the pilot, CISOs, ABMs, and RPA are going to come th- through Air Force ROTC. So that all being said, let me describe how things work within Air Force ROTC. Once you have finished your first two years, or if you do a compressed schedule, your first year uh, of ROTC, you are then moved into what is called the, uh, the professional officer course or the POC. Once you are in the POC, it is at that point that you really start to get into the process of choosing which or or having or, or applying for uh, different uh, officer career fields. Now, if you want to be a pilot or any other rated officer, that selection board is going to happen in the fall of your junior year or your 300 year. The, the board is going to take a look at all of your records, which includes your grades, your academic major, your commander's ranking, which is a description of your relative performance, your performance relative to your peers, as well as your, your physical fitness, your AFOQT scores, your PICSUM, the pilot candidate selection method if you're going for pilot, or uh, other scores relative to the, the other rated career fields. The Central Selection Board is gonna look at all of this information, 
feed it into the gonculator, which is going to spit out a number that rep represents you. And if there are 500 slots available to ROTC cadets that year, one through 500 in that order of merit are going to receive a pilot slot. Then 501 and down won't. So it's a competitive thing that happens in the fall semester and results are usually published around the end of February, March timeframe, uh, specifically for rated selection. Now the other career fields that all happens the following year uh, in your 400 year and is pretty simple the way that works. You, the, the Air Force will say, based on your academic major, these are the career fields that you are eligible for. Number them of what your what your preferences are. And then the Air Force is going to match you to one of those career fields according to their needs. There are some career fields like being an engineer that require that you have a very specific degree. But there are a whole bunch of others that it doesn't matter what your degree is. And so that opens up the opportunity for you to do lots of different things, but it also gives the Air Force the ability to assign you into lots of different things. This is another concept too, that I think is foreign to people, but once you are kind of in the Air Force and you're used to being racked and stacked against your peers continuously. And correct me wrong, that really, I mean, it starts your freshman year. It does. Yeah, so, and by racked and stacked, I mean, is if there's 10 people in your, in your class, there's going to be a number one and there's going to be a number 10 uh, on the commander's list. And that's a subjective rating that goes into part of the calculation down the road. But that same principle applies, you know, day one of ROTC throughout your entire Air Force career. Everywhere you go, you're going to be racked and stacked against your peers. There's going to be a number one captain. There's going to be a number one flight lead. There's going to be a number one instructor. There's going to be a number one missileer, lawyer, doctor, whatever it is. Um, and so it is just, as you mentioned earlier, it's a very competitive environment and that is something to get used to, but people usually going to the Air Force were already kind of conditioned to it. Um, and I would say it's slightly different in the sense, if you want to succeed at it, that you understand that that process is going on, but that you kind of ignore it. At least that's my, was my take on it. Like it didn't matter to me, right? Like I just wanted to be really, you know, obviously you say the cliche things, I want to be the best officer, best leader. Really, I want to be the best pilot. All those things required me to to do that. Um, and the way I did that was to help out my peers, right? If I if I had some tidbit of information, if I had learned something, was to share that bit of information to help make the team better. Because in the end, it the whole point of all of this is to be a team player and to go out there and win and fight our nation's battles. Absolutely. Um, and so it seems like it's really far away. I think when I'm saying something like that. To a high schooler sitting in their their bedroom or whatever listening to this, but um, that's really not that far off. And that is the whole point. So everything you do should be geared towards the bigger picture, I think, of what what am I doing today that is going to be impactful five years, 10 years down from the road, and what is going to be impactful on the larger scale of things because you're joining an organization that's on the, on the big scale. Um. So we didn't really talk about OTS and it's probably kind of a similar vibe. I don't like it's smoke and mirrors to me. Like, I don't know what they do at Maxwell and how they pick things, but it is kind of, they do have a board, right? That they're applying to get selected to go to OTS. And do you know, they, they know going into OTS, what career field they're going to go into. Correct. 
That is correct. Yes. So the way OTS works is, like I said earlier, you work with an officer recruiter that is going to guide you through the process, help you submit your package. And this is true whether you are a civilian or prior enlisted trying to go to OTS. You have to work with an officer recruiter. There are four boards, four OTS selection boards every year that will, and there will be a rated board and a or a, a, uh, a non-rated board. The jobs available, the career fields available in each of those different boards is going to vary based on what the Air Force needs. And the specific degrees that the Air Force is willing to accept for those particular career fields may also vary. For example, space operations is a huge thing right now, right? Because we're trying to get it's, the... It's the future, they tell me. It's the future. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> the, the United States Space Force is trying to uh, fill up with, uh, with bodies and get to a point where they're fully up and, and operational. And in order to do that, they are being very picky about the types of degrees that they want to have in their space operations officers. So... Even though the Air Force Officer Classification Directory, now that's one that everybody's going to want to know, the AFOCD, may say that space operations can accept you know, any number of different degrees. The OTS selection process may limit those career fields by specific academic major. So like I said, there are four boards per year, rated and non-rated. Once you are selected, you will be told by your officer recruiter which career field you have been selected for. You're going to show up to officer training school knowing exactly what you're going to be upon graduation. You, you still have to wait for the actual class date itself, which can get pushed or canceled. I mean, you've been selected, so you're going to eventually go, but you don't know when. It, it may take a while. My co-host on our podcast, he went through officer training school, both as an OT, an officer trainee as well. And he was there as an instructor. From the time that he completed his application to getting notified of selection was about nine months. And then the time from officer uh, being, being selected to showing up to, to OTS was about another nine months. So this was a full up 18 month process, getting him from being a civilian to finally showing up day one of training at officer training school. So anybody that's looking to go the officer training, the OTS route should understand that not only is it extremely competitive, it can take a very long time. The guard and reserve those are avenues for people to commission into as well. Can Correct. you talk a little bit about how one would go about joining the reserves or joining the guard and, and what that looks like? Sure. So first off, commissioning out of Air Force Academy is into active duty only. Commissioning out of Air Force ROTC is, is into active duty by default, but you can sometimes find a way to get a commission through ROTC into the, the guard or the reserve. Very rare, but it does happen. Good luck. <laughs> right. 
more often than not, what is going to happen for the, the I'll start with the reserve, is that you will work with an officer sessions recruiter for the Air Force Reserve. And you'll go through that exact same process that I described earlier, and they are going to get you a class date and a career field uh, for you to go through officer training school. And it is total force officer training school now. Everybody that's going to OTS, uh, whether it's active, guard or reserve, will go through this, the exact same training. Now, we haven't talked about the medical side. They're a completely different story. We can maybe address it another time, um, but line of the Air Force, rated, non-rated, they're gonna go through the, the normal total force officer training school. Now the guard is a completely different animal, completely different animal. Essentially your board for the guard is, does that commander have a spot for you to, to fill uh, as an officer and are they willing to send you and pay for you to go to officer training school? That's basically it. But where it sounds really simple, it's really not because the guard really likes to hire from within. Uh, it's, a, it's a very close-knit community that's extremely difficult to break into. Uh, so if you want to go the guard route, your best opportunity is to enlist and demonstrate as an enlisted airman that you are worth investing in so that they can send you to officer training school and get your commission that way. Yeah. I always kind of say the guard is almost like a fraternity or sorority. You got to, yes. you, you got to rush it and then right place, right time. They happen to like you and you have all the qualifications and then they have a spot. Then you have a chance of doing that. It could take six months. That could take three years before right. you even get hired. So it could be a really long process. The one thing too, I really want people to take away that I've learned over the years is I wouldn't say never take no for an answer, right? There's sometimes there's a line in the sand that you're just not going to be able to cross. I.e., like, I don't know, you have a valve that's closed in your heart. Like you're probably not right. going to be commissioned to the Air Force. Like there's just no overcoming that. But for most things, like no is not always the final answer. And if it is no, like somewhere there's an Air Force regulation that is the governing guidance. Right. And you need to see that and read it and know like, yep, that is final versus taking someone's word for it. There's an appropriate way to do it and there's some finesse to do it, but educate yourself, use your network and leverage that. And I'll say, I had a buddy who started day one ROTC with me. He did his first semester and they kicked him out that he had asthma. Fast forward five years later, because I had to wait 18 months to go to pilot training. I show up to Columbus Air Force Base and Brian is on the computer next to me checking into pilot training. He had gotten hired by a reserve unit to fly C-130s. Turns out he didn't have asthma. Uh, he had it all cleared up. So it's like, for him, it was crushing. Like that was his only dream. And had he just stopped right there and saying like, I'm done, like it'd have been over. So yep. sometimes no is the final answer, but again, educate yourself, make sure you do it. So just know it's a process. And as we kind of alluded to in the beginning, like you and I are heavily involved in the Air Force, right? We're getting paychecks from the Air Force. And even to us with our networks and the people we know, it can be really frustrating. But in the end, it is such a rewarding career. At least for me, if I had to go back over and do it all over again, I would absolutely do it uh, just because of everything I've gotten out of it. There's definitely frustrations that come with it, but uh, it's been pretty, pretty good to me. Before we wrap up, I do just want one kind of like final parting shot across the bow. Sure. We, we talked about those commissioning sources. One thing I just want to like allude to 
some of the specialty things such as doctors, lawyers, nurses to a certain degree, I think. Yep. Um, what that's different, right? They have a lot have more schooling and different totally world. Totally different. Yeah. How, how, what, what do doctors and lawyers and things like that need to do in order to join the air force or you know, how, just broad brush? What are we looking at? The simplest way to put it is it's complicated. I was going to say, if you said it depends, you'd have been, that would have been, been the win. It, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. <laughs> the, the thing, the thing to do, if you want to be a physician or a lawyer or a chaplain, any of those non-line, very special, what we call professional career fields for the Air Force is to get in touch with a recruiter, either an officer recruiter for OTS or a recruiting officer for ROTC. They don't commission non-line out of the academy, so don't even worry about that. So get in touch with one of those official sources, or if you want to, you can reach out to, uh, to me, to me or my, uh, my co-host Reed, uh, again, air force officer podcast at gmail.com. And we will do our best to uh, point you towards the resources needed to explain the health profession scholarship program, the United services, university of the health sciences, or any other number of resources to help you get some information on how to become a non-line physician or lawyer or chaplain or something like that. Well, Colin, before we uh, split ways here, is there anything else you'd like to throw out there to the audience about becoming an officer or tips, tricks, advice? The main thing that I want to say is that being an officer is freaking awesome, but it's also freaking hard. Yeah. <laughs> it It's... It, it is a wonderful way of life. It is a very difficult way of life. It is not for everybody, but for those who are able to do it and do it well, it is extremely rewarding. It is by far one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. And my personal experience was that I, I served my four-year commitment and then I left. I separated from active duty. I went into the non-participating uh, IRR or individual ready reserve, meaning I wasn't doing anything with the Air Force and I missed it like crazy. I missed my tribe. I missed wearing the uniform and being with my brothers and sisters in arms. And so I did everything that I could to find a way back. I had to figure it out. I had to become really smart on the process I mean, I was already an officer at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had to get really smart on the process. I had to leverage my network. I had to demonstrate that I had the capability and the willingness to be successful in the thing that the Air Force needed me to do. And that's how I got to Air Force ROTC. I am so grateful for the time that I've had as an officer, which is one of the reasons why I... and. And so grateful for my time as an instructor in Air Force ROTC, which is one of the reasons why I decided to start the podcast, Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast, so that I could share this information with my audience, with your audience, with anybody out there that is looking to go into this type of career field. Colin, that's awesome. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Again, more information, Commission Ed, uh, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Uh, that's a great source and a way to, to get more information about the various different career fields. 
become an Air Force officer, et cetera, and then uh, able to reach out to you, a current ROTC instructor. So great resource there. Thanks again for coming on the podcast and uh, taking the time to join us here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Make sure you hit subscribe before you leave. That way you don't miss any content that comes out. Be back next week with my guest, Daniel Bond Robinson, who's a former tornado pilot. He was the first exchange pilot in the F-22 program and is the founder of Red 6 Aerospace. He has quite a fascinating story, which I think you'll enjoy. But until next time, don't bring a week.